Business School. Welcome everybody. My name is Daryl Pereira. I'm content strategist at IBM and this is the Business School podcast where we talk about emerging trends in business, what's going on, and some of the things that you might not read in a textbook. And I think we definitely today go into that area. I'm happy to be joined by Douglas Kelly. And as we'll quickly get into this discussion, you'll discover What's going on in the space, particularly around AI as it relates to creativity, as it relates to experience, as it relates to building a new level of applications that can help people in, in unique ways. So without further ado, here's Douglas. If I could just ask you, Douglas, just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got to where you are today. Hello, thanks, Daryl. I'm Douglas Kelly, and I'm Director of Unusual Technologies, which is a software-focused company that makes bespoke solutions for other businesses. And it tries to focus around creative cutting edge technologies like AI to make interesting, innovative, often fun solutions. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are? Was this what you wanted to do out of the door? Was it, or was it something that was a serendipity that brought you here? It's definitely been a journey of building up of various different skills and interests that sort of taken me here. So if we go real far back, I started on biology and chemistry at university, but uh, that didn't go too far. Got interested in games. And when I was studying games, I was, it was from a design point of view, I was looking at them at university, but I started to get interested in programming. I started to get interested in education and persuasive games. And all of this sort of came together along with a few other interests in business and, and working out business needs and how to solve them. All of this has come together now into to the company we have today, where we work a lot with businesses who are either introducing training elements into their into their business through software, or potentially they're trying to reach markets and they need that sort of persuasive element to it. And yeah, we we like I say, we use all the different skills that I've sort of gained over my over my time in the wilderness to, to help them out. And I think yeah, a lot of that is understanding their needs and trying to uh, work out how gamification can help them. So in terms of, and so yeah, fascinating the idea that you went from this path from gaming through education, and then that took you into the world of business. You know, I know gamification, there was a lot of hype around it. We'll go back a few years, maybe five or six years, um, potentially here a little bit less these days. But in terms of that idea of both gaming and education and what that means to how businesses think about like interaction and building experience, how, how does that all come together? One of the main requests is they just, they need people to learn a new skill or to do something and they need it to be interesting uh, enough you know, the employees or themselves can actually engage with the software we're creating and use it effectively. So on the surface level, that's like things like clever user experience and clever user interface. But really what it comes down to is, is if you can make that more enjoyable, if they're using it day to day or if it's training them, if you can make that more enjoyable, then you've improved everything. And the best way we know to make digital products enjoyable is the world of game design so just borrowing from all, all these skills that you know people spend their whole whole lives just focusing on how to improve games and make them as successful as possible it's a, it's a huge market in its own right and if you can borrow all that knowledge and see if you can apply it to even non-games you can get a lot of um 
improved and smoother user experiences in the products we make or business. Can you give some examples, like in terms of, you know, how does that come to life? One example would be construction project we were working with where they wanted, so there's already crane simulators, which is already a very good example of, or, or any heavy, heavy equipment simulators that are good examples of, of how you can use games to train. And they're sort of obvious examples, but maybe less obvious would be all the sort of health and safety and how to behave on, on the work site. And so we were working with a, a massive construction company who did that as a paper exercise or maybe for the actual uh, physical training, they would have people come on site, but they were coming from all around the world, which is obviously, obviously a huge cost. And then there's, uh, if you're training health and safety for the first time, there is a real danger of health and safety if you, if you haven't already received that training. So all this was, uh, look, we're looking at turning this into a sort of simulator where you can w- walk through a site and sort of spot out dangers and yeah, be immersed in it. I guess similar things exist in the past with maybe like videos of, of dangerous situations where you have to spot them out, but um, it can be far more engaging, gets everybody involved and actually excited to be there if you have something like a virtual reality experience for that. So that that's a sort of clear example of how you can use gamification to improve people's on-site training experience and then obviously that can feed into a whole ecosystem where we can do all these other clever things so that's that's virtual reality i just spoke about but also you could have things like on, on people's individual mobile phones they can sit quick multiple choice exams and so on and that just allows people to feed into this system the management can keep track of but at the same time in a way that's easy doesn't require nail mail of letters being sent out or going onto clunky websites it can all come together in one nice package just to be clear, in, in this example that you talk about, these would be the individuals that are using like heavy machinery, like diggers and stuff like that. You know, I'm, I'm not a construction guy, but I can imagine there's stuff that some of these bigger mechanical tools, basically, and big vehicles that you might be using in construction and to make sure that the people that use those are very familiar and, and understand where they may, where they could be health and obviously uh, it's a minefield, I'm sure, when it comes to health and safety in those kind of environments. It's not just the people using the heavy equipment. So as I say, there's there's actually, it's, it's fairly well understood, I think, outside, even outside of the sort of tech world and, and simulator worlds, that these things exist and can exist. And it's not hard to imagine how they're useful. But even even people who aren't using them or, or people who are using them, but they still need to get to enter the, the truck and on their way to that truck, they have to pass through the construction yard. So how to behave at that point um, and what to look out for and how to do things like checking for fuel in a safe way. So there's all, all these areas outside of just the, the simulator itself that are also quite dangerous and can also benefit from you know virtual environments to practice in. And again, speeds things up, keeps costs down, people don't have to be on site, all sorts of benefits especially this one thing we were looking at involving hand tracking for um, guiding. So when people are up in these massive cranes, someone on the ground is guiding the crane and giving hand gestures. Uh, We worked out we can use the Oculus hand gesture tracking quite well to track whether they're using the right gestures or not. So even training them in gesture, like memorizing different gestures and making sure they're doing them properly and clearly. Again, something that's you could do without, but it's fairly boring without and actually physically doing it. <laughs> it's just a bit of novelty and it gets people to engage. 
and remember it much more. Touching back on something that you said earlier in terms of this idea that I'll say, you know, I know a lot of organizations, even if you're largely desk job based and in the knowledge kind of space, there are still business conduct guidelines. There are those kind of things that a lot of organizations will, you know, make, need to make sure that their employees uh, are up to date and familiar with if it's, and I know I can say a lot of organizations might just do rare require employees to sit down you know, once a year or whatever and go through an hour-long training on the computer with with some weird simulations. I love what you said there. It's also the idea that potentially any business then, for instance, could start thinking about how you can, doing these things, say, through a mobile device. And, like, you know, it could be something where someone's just sitting at an airport with a bit of downtime or on the couch, like, you know, in between ads or something like that way might be able to get some of this work done, which which obviously could have impacts both in terms of making sure that employees understand what you want them to know, but then also you're not impacting productivity in negative ways or making people sit through weird experiences. Yeah, it's, again, like borrowing from games, I think in the sort of competitive world of games, they come out with all sorts and they try to work out, okay, we're not going to take on this massively successful video game but can we get some of their downtime can we get them to play a game while they're waiting for the bus that's the question game designers and developers have been asking themselves and and solving so when we come to look at something like you know your hour mandatory training every year for, for an office job maybe where it's just about fire exits and so on can we borrow from that and get people actually wanting to do it in their downtime and, you know, have that be a much more effective, engaging way rather than a, a slog where they have to take an hour out of their day just to work all the way through these. Can, can we make it something they can continue, they can pick up, they can do a little bit of and move on? And can we do it in a much more engaging way where they're actually properly thinking through the answer and visualizing the problem and actually solving it rather than sort of blindly going through, I don't know, some of these multiple choice type questions where... You're just sort of clicking and hoping for the best. And you know you can take it again if you need to. <laughs> You're not too worried. But if, if it was much more engaging, the purpose of the training becomes, I think some people, you can start taking it less seriously because you're having to do it all the time and it's seen as something so conflicting to your own wants and desires. But if they make that something that you actually, you understand why they're helping you find the fire exits or know what the protocol is and you can visualize it properly, then you're going to learn the, the lessons it's trying to teach far, far more effectively. And in terms of um, when it, you know this idea of engagement and building engagement, I know we're focused on employees, but that can go, you know, think of a business that can, obviously you've got your employees as one side of it, but typically you have customers or you have people that, you, that you're serving on the other side of that. What are some of the ways in which, say, for instance, emerging technology or, or what's currently available, say, with artificial intelligence can be applied in this kind of space? I was thinking you are going to ask me a slightly different question, which can actually be, I'll answer anyway, because it answers both, both questions, what I thought you were going to ask and what you did ask. So I thought you were going to ask about like non-employees, like actual customers and how businesses can get there. And there's, there's an interesting project we're working on right now where we're trying to, working for the NHS and a few universities, trying to get older people uh, living with dementia to use an app to self-report on how they're getting on. And again, this is uh, you know, a fairly negative thing. People don't want to dwell on it too much. It's also quite difficult for them to use technology because of their age group, but also dementia itself can make it hard to learn new things and to, to engage with new activities. 
So our main goal there is to try and make it more, um, is to use gamification and so on to smooth over some of these um, barriers to entry. And that answer, start answering the question you, were, you actually asked about technology and AI. We've been looking a lot at how we can use AI to improve that experience as well. So one of the common problems people have when they're not sure where to go, there's a lot of, there's a lot of old techniques where you can work out that somebody's probably struggling. So good video game tutorials, for example, um, will have a lot of code in the background tracking if someone's taking too long and they'll try and make it easier or maybe they'll make a, a hint appear or something like this. But with AI, we can start to potentially, with their permission, ask if we can sort of record them speaking to it and we can start to record some of what they're saying and get an idea of whether they need more help just from them actually talking. And talking is a much more natural interface for everybody really, but especially people who are not used to using their phones, who don't have the dexterity to use the touch interface as well um, or as cleanly. So we notice a lot of times when they are using the touch interface on a phone, for example, their finger will maybe shake slightly and they'll, they'll not quite hit the button correctly. And it sometimes takes several attempts, which can build frustration. So AI can be used with voice to help with that, but it can also be used in many other ways. So for example, the data we start collecting from them, we ask questions and if we think we need more information, we can ask more questions and there's older algorithms we can use to try and detect that. But uh, AI can be much more clever about that and allow us to get an idea much more efficiently than our old algorithms did for working out. And just as a point of clarification for that, especially for those people outside of the UK, the NHS is the National Health System, which is, you know, which is a big healthcare organization, which effectively governs the entire running of the UK health system. So yeah, it's obviously, it's a big project that you're working on there with a very esteemed organization. And in terms of this idea of voice and what we can do, what, what, what would be your take in terms of, do you see areas where voice is particularly, like you're saying that, you know, especially as it comes to, you know, if we're looking at like a phone dial where you've got effectively nine choices and numbers and you try and might have to, you know, we've, we've spent decades now with these teleprompt services, trying these telephone answering services where we'll ask, you know, give people choices based on numbering. As we move into voice, what, what are some of the potential, you know, you touched on it just in terms of how much it can be simpler. There are other things, do you start looking at tonal qualities and other sides of voice as well that can help be signals to individuals? I'd say there's, um, voice is something that needs to be tackled more. So it's, in the app I just mentioned, it's easier where we actually kind of almost do go back to the to the telephone keypad again, but we use the AI to, to detect which one of these like nine options are best. But ultimately, it still is a bit on rails. And one of the big problems with, with voice AI right now, and why it's a bit slower than the other, other areas, is that it relies on, as you say, like, tone and accent and all this which can be it can be so different across britain there, there's you know a new accent every couple of miles um, and it's i mean that's really true all over the world i think we joke about america although it is more true in britain i'll say this much <laughs> it's crazy the amount of accents change but but no no not taking away from your point so, so but absolutely it's, it's true everywhere and it's not just accent it's also it can be the smallest thing so that's still one of the things that are held, held back slightly and it, it's better to have to have a bit of um, trickery there where, where it sounds like it's talking to you, but it's really just it's just deciding which of the nine options is best and taking you down that road. 
but yeah, I mean, it, it's something that I, I'm hoping with the recent advances in, in sort of uh, chat GPT and so on, there'll be a lot more investment and audio will, will catch up quickly. So no, it feels like there's been advances in terms of, I know there's even some of the voice generators that can use different accents or you know, even down to different tones on that side of it. Is it some of what needs to happen is more about also having that two-way street, right? And maybe having some of it be, at the moment, it feels like you can choose to have, if you've got text, you can have that speech, the way in which that's re- released. It's almost like how a you know a drama director might ask an actor to recount it in different ways. You can do some of that work, but it doesn't quite, are you saying it hasn't fully worked its way into system? So there's two different questions here. So having having text to speech, I think, is actually incredible. I think that's that's very strong right now. There's a few things that could change. For example, we try to avoid names and, and so on that might be regional or how you pronounce it just changes. And there's not always that many rules, especially if it's from a, you know, if the name is from a different country with a different phonetic rule set of how you pronounce something, uh, it can be very hard for the AI to do it. But generally, I'd say AI taking text and reading out is incredible, very well advanced. What I was speaking about more specifically is when it's doing the opposite of having a human speaking and turning that into text. If you have perfect Hollywood accent or or, um, <laughs> or Queen's English, then you will probably not struggle. But the problem is for making it as a interface for everybody, then you have to suddenly start considering, especially with us, the, the app we were just talking about, obviously targeting older people who can have, might not quite understand, you know, they need to direct their voice towards the microphone, or they might have any sort of ailment that makes it harder for them to talk and be clear and everything. And also we want, especially because we're, as you mentioned, it's for the NHS, it's important that we're not discriminatory on people from different backgrounds with different accents from even other countries who maybe don't have English as a first language and will struggle to get the pronunciation just right for the the AI to take in. It's interesting, let you say, that that these areas that will incumbent on us to figure out if we want to make these systems effectively every man right if we want to make these systems that have diversity built into them so they can there's obviously you know human diversity goes in many different directions and so being able to have systems that can be reflective of that and and use that in power is something that is as you're saying is something we we still need to it's not fully there right now we still need to work in that space there's a video i can't even remember what the show is called but it's two old men scottish men in a lift and it's a voice-activated lift, and they get stuck in the lift for ages. And I think that's a, that's very old now. I think it must be at least twenty years old. But I think that's still very much true that you know you get someone from the country into something like this, and it's going to be very difficult to get out. Maybe even myself. I think I would struggle with with getting it to understand. Me. <laughs> yeah, there's there's work to be done, but hopefully, I feel it's just one breakthrough away. And it should should get there. I mean, we manage it, so why can't the AI? Why can't the computers? And in terms of AI and these systems and this level of engagement, what do you think are some of the areas, especially around personalization? You know, it could be around. Yeah, I know you started talking about broadly education in terms of things like health and safety in those areas. You know, how important are these tools going to be? Do you think as it comes to building that level of interface that can take us on these personal journeys? For AI taking us on. Journeys, I think it's uh, the capabilities are there now. It's only been very the Chat GPT phenomena only just sort of came out last year, and I don't think we've seen 
even a tiny fraction of, of all the different apps and uses that are going to start coming out soon. So we don't tend to make just pure games anymore, although that's my sort of background and, and a lot of the people our company's background. But there's a lot of opportunity there, I think, for any sort of storytelling games, even simple ones. We had a client before asking about the library and trying to get people into the library. And we, we had an idea for, for telling stories using ChatGPT or similar AI to allow people to play that game. I don't know what it's called. It's got different names in different countries, but basically where you tell a bit of a story and someone tells another bit and you all go together to make one full story. We were going to do something like this. The only danger with not using an AI is that um, if it's in a public place, unless it's monitored, especially if children are around, you can't make sure it's always decent quality so we were going to use ai to, to actually suggest maybe you know they hear the story so far and suggest nine possible alternatives next and the uh the next person would come along and pick one of those alternatives and then it generates a new set and someone else comes along so i think that would have been a really nice really nice little project if we could get that one off the ground to have people telling stories with each other and sharing and using ai to just monitor all of that and make sure it goes smoothly that'd be awesome yeah i know i love that idea in terms of having it take people in different directions right and allow us to express our own histories etc and gather those pieces that's really cool in terms of as you said your own path is one that's taken you through gaming through education through these areas and then when you're working on some projects like the one that you're working on with the health service around developing an app for dementia and that side of it, what kind of skills are needed? You know, there's obvious, I think perhaps more obvious to some of the technical skills, but then even the fact that which you talk about, even in the world of technology, you know, gaming exists, tends to exist as somewhat of its own field, but then the way in which, especially whether it's your own personal journey or what you're doing with unusual technologies feels like it's also bringing together different disciplines also requires bringing together different skills. Could you talk about that a little bit? It's an interesting world we live in because all the technology sort of plays into changing how, how we learn and what we need to learn is the technology. So I think in the past, you know, it was important to be problem solving. It's important to, to have a good memory. I think nowadays with computers, it's all about problem solving. It's all about how well you can use tools because the, the computers have much more memory than we will ever have. And they're so handy. They're always on you. There's very few jobs where you can't have a mobile phone with internet connection, at least. So I think moving forward, it's going to be about, in, in the past like 10 years, I've answered, it's all about how well you can Google. Um, and that's the most important skill you can have nowadays. Now it's going to be how well you can use ChatGPT. And more than that, I think you can use ChatGPT and get your answer, but now it's true of Google as well, but even more so with ChatGPT, it's how well you can be critical of those answers and work out when to stop. So uh, you need to be able to look at an answer and see potential problems with that answer, try and work out why that not, might not be right, uh, and use that to inform how much more searching you need to do, what rabbit holes to dig yourself into and to follow, or when it's okay just to take that as a surface level and stop there. Because, I mean, you, you could go forever, but you have to avoid that. But at the same time, you, you can't go too shallow with all the information that's available to us. There's a lot of false information or incorrect information. And being able to work out what's right and what's what's wrong, it's just become so, so important today. 
And yeah, and that goes, you're talking about uh, working with all these different, so our, one of the big things of our uh, company is working with different businesses. So we work with construction, health, education, we work with anything really. There's no, every imaginable business could use us. And we have to be ready to learn about what they need so that we can work with them better. So, I mean, we had a, a project just a month ago, quite a small one. It was for a reception for a dentist. And we have to get into the world of dentistry. And they told us what they want, but they don't always know exactly how things work or they can't always foresee the problems that they expect us to foresee for them. And we don't always have the knowledge of, of the skills. Uh, so we have to be able to learn and to, to work out when we are short and when we need to either ask them or, or learn more ourselves so we can do the job better. And again, so it's just the same same problem as I said before. It's it's all about how to get information and how to know when to keep looking and how to know when to stop. And that's something I think you can only really get with practice and training. And one aspect of that is the, like you mentioned, this, this idea of critical thinking and the degree to which you need to have that. We talked to a professor early in the series for business school, a lady called Yu Chen, and she she put forward an idea that there were kind of three C's needed in this future world where, you know, in terms of skills around AI, and one of those was the critical thinking. She also had creative thought and collaborative thought. She thought were also other areas that would be really useful going forward as, you know, and to, to deal with as we work around, with and around these systems. But also, I think also then in terms of, you know, I mentioned chat GPT, and I know we're seeing by extension here at IBM as we've got our what's next platform. And it brings those same kind of generative AI in the, in the enterprise and, but exactly that same approach in terms of what's required by the people that work with those systems. So it's fascinating to see that piece of it. And just one other thought there is just, I know, going back some years, some educators had a strong perspective towards this idea for business, this idea that you need T-shaped skills, that you need the T being the long downward bar of the T is something where you go deep and you've got your strong area of expertise. But then the crossbar of the T is the one and uh, is the one where you need to have just smaller domain knowledge in different areas that could then be useful that's valued in like you're saying and you know potentially the way in which now you've built up then your organization has built up some dentistry skills for, you know where you've got the deep technical skills for, it feels like it fits into that model absolutely i think in every every job you're always going to need to, your own specialty but every time you work with anyone so obviously we're an exception in how how many different kinds of people we work with but I can see any, you're always going to be uh, learning little things about um, whatever your current project is in any sort of area. I can definitely see that being the case. I think the three C's you mentioned, I think that that's spot on. The creative one is especially true. And I think it's this is actually quite a hard one to work out what that means because I was having a discussion with somebody the other day talking about, so a lot of our work is very creative and we've noticed the limitations of ChatGBT to come up with creative elements. And there was pushback from this person I was discussing it with who's saying, you can ask it to write a Shakespearean poem on what's in your fridge and it can do it. So in that sense, it's creative, but there's other things, for example, it cannot take. So we asked about the dementia, pro the dementia app we were working on. We asked what new ideas we could put into there for making it a more uh, accessible app. And it just said the sort of usual things of like larger fonts and larger and, and color schemes that make sense and so on. Just basically what you can get from Googling it. 
uh, it didn't have any sort of new suggestions to try or explore. There was nothing where it could say, try X. I don't have the answer whether this will work or not, but it might be worth a shot. It sounds reasonable that it might work. It never gives an answer like that. <laughs> um, so in that sense, it's not creative, but in the sense they can take a pattern and apply that, like how to rhyme, a pattern of poetry and so on, it is creative. So I think it needs somebody who can go deeper into this than myself to, to answer the question of where its creativity stops. But it's worth being aware, I think, that even, even with these skills that you do need, like creativity, what exactly does that mean? And even in collaboration as well, a similar thing. There's absolutely things that can't do well with collaboration, but, but what does that mean? I think anything with empathy, any job that requires empathy, which is almost all of them, is not going to do as well. But it certainly can collaborate in the sense that it can uh, take, oh, well, obviously, its main thing is it can take all the information that humans have put together and uh, put all that together and give a sort of bullet point list of that. So in that sense, it can collaborate, but in other senses, it can't. That's really fascinating. Yeah. And like you say, it gets thinking in terms of the degree to which these tools, in some ways, they'll help us maybe understand for ourselves exactly what it means to be creative and that side of it. And, you know, especially you look back at the you know, history of art and things like when photography first came along, right? In some ways, it pushed a lot of fine art in the direction of abstraction, cubism, all this other stuff happened, which in some ways, partly because photography had picked up a lot of the idea of technical detail drawing and that side of art. I wonder to what degree as well as you're talking, it makes you think just, yeah, the degree to which these systems, something like creative thought, you know, we put these words around it, but really to start unpacking that and exactly what is creative thought is something which we can further explore as these systems really try and nudge and push into some of these ideas that we have, which I know also works for intelligence. We've, I know we've got people on IBM research side that are starting to, to use, and, and I know in other research field departments as well are starting to use these tools to really question then that idea of intelligence and the degree to which what does that actually mean and what are its limitations and how, you know, maybe it will help us we don't often think of these the way these systems can help us understand ourselves. I do think that eventually there's no reason why an AI can't do everything and just, you know, all forms of creativity. But if we're talking about now and employability in the future, there's definitely limitations. And, you know, that, that's opportunity for anyone looking to fill the void, do things that, has, that AI isn't already doing. And when we get to the point when AI can do everything, hopefully that will be irresponsibly handled and we'll all be free of toil anyway. Well, on that note, if people want to learn more about yourself, your business, wh wh where can they go to do that? So you can go to unusualtechnologies.com and you can check out some of our projects, or you can also uh, go to the contact page and get in touch with us. Thank you. This conversation, I could, could keep on going here, but I know in the interest of time, we do need to cut this, uh, cut this short. So I really appreciate you spending the time today. This is Douglas Kelly from Unusual Technologies. Go check them out, go see what they're up to. And this has been the Business School podcast uh, subscribe and check back we're covering we're doing a whole series around the business of ai which we touched on today obviously and we will be doing more in this series as well as talking other topics as well as it relates to the areas of business that you might not find in a textbook so thank you for listening take care mm -hmm.